Thank you, Charles. So as Charles says, my name's Chris. I know many of you already. If you don't know me, then I'm a member of this congregation and have been for a good long time now. Uh, so we're going to continue our series on people of the word, looking at the Bible and uh, how that uh, can be used. This particular talk is uh, called The Bible as a Weapon. It's a bit dramatic. Uh, so we're going to read through Matthew chapter 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's plenty of them at the back. Um, in the Red Church Bibles, it's page 967. So, Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone." Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, uh, we're going to be looking at this passage. I'm going to go through it bit by bit and see what we can learn of it. Um, a few things to, to think about before we get into it. It, the, the title of the, the passage is Jesus is tested in the wilderness and then just after it says that he's tempted in the desert. Um, tested is the better word here rather than tempted. Uh, so this is a, a, a passage where we see Jesus come straight out of his baptism uh, where God proclaimed over him, this is my son whom I love uh, and now he's being led by the spirit into the desert to be tested uh, so note that it's being led by the Spirit, by God. This is uh, not something where the devil has ensnared him and dragged him out into the desert for a torrid 40 days. Uh, this is a time where Jesus has been apart, uh, in solitude, in the Spirit for 40 days and 40 nights. It's a real preparation for the whole of his ministry, having just been baptized. So we're going to go through each of those three testings and learn what we can about Jesus from it. Uh, so when Tim introduced this series of talks uh, a few weeks ago, he started with uh, this verse from 2 Timothy. 
All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we really trust here that this passage can be useful for all those things for us. So let's try and get the most out of it that we can, both to learn about Jesus, but also to learn how we can live a more Jesus-like life. So, some bits of the Bible speak directly to us. We can read it and say, okay, I should do that. Perfect. Uh, So Matthew chapter 5 is a really good example of that, the Sermon on the Mount. It's just page after page of uh, amazing, do this, do this. If you do that, it'll go well for you. Brilliant, easy. Um, This passage is not quite like that. It's pretty rare that any of us is going to be in a desert for 40 days and 40 nights without eating Um, I don't know about you, but I haven't done that. Um, It's also fairly uh, unlikely that we'll be tempted or tested to change a stone into a loaf of bread. I love baking bread, but I never start from a stone, usually from flour. Uh, So we can't take exactly what Jesus went through here and say, okay, that sets me up for my day today. Uh, But we can learn a great deal about Jesus from it, and then we'll see how we can change our lives as a result. So, Jesus is proclaimed to be the Son of God, and then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness uh, for a time of testing and preparation. And then immediately, at the end of that, we see that the devil comes to Jesus. Uh, Now, that may not be easy reading for you. You might want to just gloss over that bit. Uh, But the devil is mentioned... Uh, nearly a hundred times in the Bible. Uh, So we need to be aware that the devil is real. Uh, C.S. Lewis once wrote that the two big mistakes that we can make concerning the devil is, first of all, to to think that he's not real, that he doesn't exist, or secondly, to take an unhealthy interest in the devil. So we need to be aware that he exists and be ready for uh, things that he might do, but also to to leave him to one side and say, actually, he has no power over us. And we'll see that that's really how Jesus uh, went through this. So this is no school playground impossible dare thing. Um, This is real. This is a time where Jesus was being tested by the devil and his obedience to God in particular was being tested Uh, And make no mistake, if this had gone badly, there would be no church here. We would not be Christians. Uh, The Christian faith would not be a thing. So it's high stakes, really high stakes. So, but what's it all about? Uh, What are these three testings about? um, And how exactly did Jesus triumph using the Bible, using Scripture? So as I've just said, it's an attack on Jesus' obedience to God. He's come out of his baptism, he's being led by the Spirit, uh, and now his obedience in all the things that he will have to do in the coming three or four years is being tested. Uh, And what he does here will either set the foundation for all of that or make it impossible. The devil is really trying to subvert God's plan. Um, In previous times when I've read this, I've been thinking, okay, so it's all about 
the devil trying to make Jesus doubt that he's the son of God, um, because each of these testings starts with if. Um, It's not like that at all. Uh, You can read since instead of if. Uh, The devil and Jesus both know who he is. That's not in doubt. Uh, The question is, will Jesus remain obedient to God? Or will he uh, take his status as son of God somewhat differently and try and take advantage of it for his own gain? And Jesus' response is very definitely to stand firm and rely on Scripture, rely on God's Word to defend against all the things that the devil will say. And if you take anything from this talk this morning, those two things should remain with you. Stand firm and rely on God's Word in all that you do. So the other thing to notice is that all three things that Jesus says were all quotes from Deuteronomy, chapters 6 and 8, which is all about when Moses is talking to the Israelites after their time in the desert. Uh, So Jesus has just finished 40 days in the wilderness. The Israelites had just finished 40 years in the desert. Uh, And Moses was talking to the Israelites. Jesus is now using those same words with the devil. And the end of what Moses says to the Israelites is says that all of this is to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart and will you keep my commandments. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's showing that he is humble. He's showing that he's surviving this testing time and that what is in his heart is true and that he will keep God's commandments. That's what he's doing in response to what the devil did. And I'm so glad that it is recorded in the the Bible, this event, uh, so that we have that clear picture of who Jesus is and what he's determined to do. So that was quite a long preamble, but now let's get back into the passage and go through each of these tests in turn. Uh, So turn again to the Bible if you've still got it in front of you. Uh, Verse 3 is the first of the tests. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, if I had been in the desert for 40 days and somebody even mentioned bread, uh, my mouth would be full of the taste of bread and I'd be desperate uh, to get that bread. Uh, But Jesus doesn't respond by saying, Where? Which bread? Or anything like that. He very firmly responds with Scripture. Um, now, what is the devil trying to do here? What, what is he trying to do with Jesus' obedience? Um, he's trying to say, well, you're the son of God. Surely you don't deserve to be hungry. You'd be so much more effective in this time in the desert if you were well-fed. So be kind to yourself. You know you can do it. Just change those stones into bread. That one there looks like a bread roll already. It would be easy. So he's trying to say to Jesus, be easy on yourself. Look after yourself first and obey God second. So he's trying to divert his attention onto himself and not God, encouraging Jesus to put himself first. But Jesus comes up with these amazing words from Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3. He says... "Um, 
It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is referring back to the Israelites in the desert uh, where they uh, grumbled against Moses that we have no food to eat. And back in Egypt, we had all the food we wanted. Sure, we were in captivity, but there was food and now there's none. So they grumbled against Moses and God provided for them manna, something they'd never eaten before, um, but it, it was enough for them. And they had it just each day it came each day they ate it, they were directly uh, being provided for by God. So everything that came from God was everything they needed. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying back to the devil. Whatever God provides me is what I need. The words that come to me from God, that is my primary satisfaction. Food comes after that. So that then concludes the first testing but it's useful to understand in our hearts, what would be our limit of obedience be? Um, what thing would make us crumble and say, actually, self-preservation first, faith afterwards? Um, and I don't think I would uh, stand that test very well. So the next test in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It seems like an odd one, this one. Um, why would the devil encourage Jesus to do such a thing? Why would he even think that Jesus would think that was a great idea to throw himself down? What is it that the devil is trying to uh, make Jesus question here? Well, it's all about obedience again. So the devil takes Jesus to the very place where in a few years' time Jesus will be mocked, beaten, and crucified. And they both know it. They both know what's coming. And so the place that he's taken to isn't just some tall place. It's a very significant place. And so Satan is encouraging Jesus to check in advance that God is going to look after him. Wouldn't you like to know, before you get to that place, that it's all going to be fine, that Jesus has got you in this, uh, that he is going to look after you in every way? And it's nice to believe that, but it, wouldn't it be even better just to know it, uh, to have experienced that protection um, and so he's asking Jesus to doubt God's uh, protection over him, but also, wouldn't it be nice to go beyond belief to knowing? Um, for us, it might be, well, before I set out on a mission, uh, do we have enough insurance? Shouldn't we get a better insurance policy or um, some other such thing, some practical thing that we can do to, to make ourselves feel safe? And well cared for. Uh, well, sometimes life isn't safe, uh, and sometimes the journey of faith isn't safe. Uh, and Jesus knows that actually what he's heading for is going to be tough. Uh, and so he doesn't doubt at all, and he doesn't allow any conditions to be placed on his trust of God. He is just simply going to trust his Father completely here. And so he responds 
with more scripture to say, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And this comes again from uh, Deuteronomy, where the Israelites uh, were grumbling this time about water. Uh, and they had been taken through the desert, they were thirsty, and they came to a spring, and they got their hopes up that they had found something by themselves that was going to fix this. But it turned out that the water was bitter, and they couldn't drink it. Uh, And so they grumbled to Moses and said, why has God failed us? Why have you led us into this place, and why isn't God coming up with the goods? Uh, And uh, So that is what Jesus is referring to and saying he's not going to go there. He's not going to grumble against God about what's coming. He's going to trust completely. So then, on to our last testing. So this is in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. So what is Satan doing here? Does he even have the right to say this? Is he lying to Jesus? Well, no, he's not. He could give this to Jesus because in this time, actually the devil has huge influence over the whole world. Um, He has the ability to do what he wants with us, essentially. Uh, And so, yes, he could say to Jesus, if you follow me, if you bow down to me, I could give you all of this now. Jesus knows, actually, that he will be given all this later by God. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, all of this will come to Jesus. He will have all authority over the whole world. But he has to go through all of the things he's going to do in the next few years and through the crucifixion and the resurrection to get there. Jesus is offered, essentially, a shortcut to that. The devil is saying to him, wouldn't it be nice to have to avoid all of that? You don't even have to die All of that can be spared, so easy. All you have to do is just this little thing, just bow down and worship me. So easy. So he's trying to subvert God's plan. He's really out in the open now. The first two tests were somewhat veiled. Um, This one is so much more obvious. Um, The devil is casting aside all, all caution and saying, let's cut to the chase. You don't want to go through all those hard times. We know where you're headed. Let me give it to you now. And this gets the strongest response of all from Jesus. Uh, And it's one that we need to learn about and learn from. Uh, So Jesus says, Away from me, Satan. Get out of my way. If that's all you've got, be gone. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And this ought to be our attitude as well. When we're facing trials, when we're facing temptation, let's see it for what it is. Sometimes it will be attack from the devil. And we need to say to the devil, be gone. Get out of my way. You don't belong here. And Jesus comes up with the strongest of all responses because it comes from the very first commandment that God gives us to worship him alone. And Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do. I'm utterly committed to worship God and take me where that will.
So, three testings, three amazing responses from Jesus. Uh, But what is our, what can we learn about this for us? What's our response to this? Um, Well, uh, I'd like to just tell you for a moment here what I've been doing in the last couple of weeks. So, two weeks ago, I was in Whitemore Maximum Security Prison with the Kairos Prison Ministry. Uh, It was an amazing time, something I was really daunted about doing. I'd heard lots of stories about how great it was, but it was going to involve me going into a maximum security prison, which I'd obviously never done before. Uh, It was a complete unknown for me. I didn't know what it was going to be like, what I would say to the prisoners when I met them. Uh, You can't just strike up conversation, well, what do you do? It's not going to work. So I was really daunted about going in there. Uh, But... Each morning before we went in, we gathered as a group of 20 outside the gates of the prison and we read together uh, the beginning of Ephesians 6 uh, where it says, put on the armor of God. And we read that together each morning. And the very start of that is to stand firm. And when you've done all these things, to stand. And that's really all we had to do. And that was a huge comfort that God went ahead of us into that prison All we had to do was stand firm, which is the first thing that Jesus also did in response to these testings. But it also became very apparent to me when I was in the prison uh, that I needed to be better with the Bible than I was. Uh, The curious thing about uh, being in a prison is that you can't take a phone in. There is no internet in the prison. Uh, None of those things are allowed. Uh, And I had realized that I'd become very used to looking up on my phone. uh, Where was that verse? I know one word of it. Oh, yeah. And you can just search for it and you can find it. And within a few seconds, you've found the the bit of scripture that you want. I couldn't do that in the prison because I didn't have a phone. And I thought, what have I done? I've I've lost my grip on memorizing scripture um, because it's just so easy to look it up. And now I really need it. Uh, I need to be able to speak the word of God into these men's lives. Um, So it challenged me hugely, uh, both that I needed to trust God, uh, and I grew a lot during that one week in trusting God in the prison, but also that I needed to be able to have the Bible with me at all times and know where I can find the bits that I need for any given situation. Jesus knew how to do that. It was all in his head. It's not really all in mine. Um, So, while I was in the the prison, we had lunch times, a little break um, over lunch, and and it came to me that there are three things that we need to do with the Bible uh, in order to prepare ourselves to serve God better. First of all, we need to have it in our heads. The Bible needs to be in our head. It's not going to get there unless we read it. Uh, So, the first challenge to us is to read the Bible. Uh, The second one is to understand it. Um, So, read it on your own, read it with notes, read it with other people, discuss it with other people, Um, really get into it and try and understand it so that you're able to to use the right part of the Bible at the right time for the right purpose. Thirdly, memorize it. It's a really good practice to memorize bits of the Bible, and I'm, I'm recommitted to doing that. Um, and while I was in the chapel in the prison, uh, there was this glorious window, it's covered in bars, but it's still a great window at the front, uh, and then a cross, and I memorized a verse of scripture by looking up at the window, then looking at the cross, and the the cross bit of the 
the cross and then down at the floor. And by tying all of that into the verse, I remembered it very easily. And now that vision of the chapel in Whitemore Prison is forever associated with that verse for me, which is great. So we need to get it in our heads. We need to read it. We need to understand it. We need to memorize it. Um, when, when we have communion later and you put your little cups into the basket at the front, right next to the basket is a whole pile of Bible verses uh, that Charles and I prepared. Just a few ideas of something to memorize. So just pick one up when you've put your glass in the basket and have a go at memorizing that one verse. Secondly, we need to have it in our hearts. It's not enough just to have it as head knowledge. We need to believe it. Um, So Jesus was unwavering in his belief of these three things that he pulled out of Deuteronomy. Uh, There was nothing that was going to shake his belief that these were true. And then live it. Uh, So Jesus said, I don't want to go your quick and easy way. I want to live the way that God has ordained for me. Uh, So believe it and live it. That's the Bible in your hearts. And then the last part have the Bible on your lips. So it's of of use to you if it's just in your head and your heart. If you can also speak it, it's of use to hundreds, maybe thousands of people that you meet and come into contact with. So speak it, pray it, drop it into conversation. Use it whenever you can. The more you both have it in your head, in your heart, and on your lips the more it will become part of you and you will be more and more aligned to Jesus. Amen.